time. Have you ever wondered why we sing when we come to church? You ever wonder, you know, Pastor, why do we put so much emphasis on music? And why is all the fuss and time given and uh, devotion to the lifting up of voices? Why do we make music such a big deal? Why do we make such a big deal over something that some people don't participate in? Some people don't participate in. And some people don't enjoy. And I'm not just talking to the pop the person sitting next to you and you're trying to sing. I'm not talking about that person. Uh, but some people just don't enjoy singing. Some people don't enjoy coming in. Some people don't participate. Psalm 95 to 100 is a cluster of psalms uh, that's grouped together as a psalm of praise, one gigantic psalm. Their focus is all about the dedication of the second temple after the Babylonian Empire. After that time of captivity in uh, 597 B.C., it's written before that, but they took this psalm and adapted it to be sung after they returned. And its emphasis is on the goodness of God in their nation. That would be a good title for a song, uh, The Goodness of God. Uh, But it's that history that we focus on today, and it kind of gives us a reason to lift our voices and Sing. So the question is this, this morning, do you personally have a reason to sing? Do you personally have a reason to sing? Let's look at Psalm 95 and verse number 1. And I'll read a couple of verses and then we'll pray together. Psalm 95, the Bible says, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. It's not a solo. This is an ensemble. This is a choir song. Let us Sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Some of you are right there is like, Pastor, that singing is not me, but that joyful noise. That's, that's right up my alley. Uh, verse number three. For the Lord is a great God. And all God's people said... <laughs> Right there, it goes right and perfect right there. As a great God and a great king above all gods. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word and thank you for uh, what you desire to have and uh, impart into our lives today. Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to worship you this morning. Lord, not just in the music. Uh, Lord, not just in the message. Lord, when we come into this place, our hearts should be in a place where we are ready to fall down before you in our hearts, Lord, to magnify. Uh, Come and magnify the Lord with me. Lord, help us to worship you to the praise that you are due this morning. Lord, please speak to hearts. Lord, if there's someone here today that does not have a reason for a song in their hearts, Lord, please show them their spiritual need today. Lord, I ask that you please give us what we need as your people Lord, I ask that you please help us to see that we have a song that you have placed in our hearts because of what you have done. You are a great God. And Lord, help us to realize that and see that this morning from your word. Lord, please speak to my heart. Please cleanse me of sin. Unconfessed in my heart and life. Help me to be clean as I preach to your people this morning. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down, number one, the encouragement. The encouragement. The psalm begins with an invitation to all of us. 
And while I understand the sentiment of some people say, well, you know, I, I can't, Pastor, I just can't sing. I, I know my family has told me, my coworkers have told me, my kids tell me often, uh, I just can't sing. But that's not the question. The question this morning is, should you sing? Should you sing? Uh, we see uh, the encouragement in verse number one is to make some noise. Make some noise. Verse number one, it says, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. There is a principle of hermeneutics, and some of you may not know what that term It's the branch of knowledge that deals with the interpretation of Scripture. Hermeneutics. Uh, it's one of the classes that a lot of Bible college students take. And there are several different principles. And one of the principles in hermeneutics is called the law of first mention. It, the law of first mention. It, it, it suggests that to understand a principle that's found in the Bible completely, you go back to the very first time that that principle is mentioned in the Scripture for a deeper understanding of what the Bible is saying. So if you were to take this phrase this morning, let us, you would go back to the very first time, the law first mentioned, where was the very first time that this phrase was used? You would go back to Genesis chapter number 1 and verse number 26. It says, and God said, here it is, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now we understand that this is a principle dealing with specifically with the trinity god is speaking to himself all three parts evident in creation we understand this let us this is what god is showing us it's talking about something that only god could do he is the only one who can create he spoke into nothing and created everything so when we see that it's something that only he can do but when we get to psalm 95 we see something that only we can do all right here's the principle we're called to sing to the lord we're called to sing to the lord uh, you might say, well, you know, pastor, what about the angels in heaven? Don't they worship? Yes, they do, but they don't sing the same song that we do. Remember 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 12? The Bible says, Unto whom it was revealed that not unto our, um, themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel, unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And here's the phrase, which things the angels desire to look into. The angels do not fully comprehend redemption. See, Jesus did not die for their sins. He died for our sins. So they cannot fully comprehend the song that we should sing. Our song should emulate what Jesus has done for us and should be a reflection of the magnitude of our thanksgiving that we have for Him dying in our place. That is the reason that we sing. That is the reason that we make some noise when we come into church. And we should not come into church and hear, just going to sing silently. Uh, we're supposed to make some noise. The Bible says, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise coming before his presence. 
That's supposed to be our posture. Now, whether or not you can sing, we all have a responsibility to exalt the Savior in song. Keith Getty said, we sing because we're created to, commanded to, and compelled to. And then I like this. Your voice may not be of professional standard, but it is of confessional standard. When we sing, we are confessing who He is. We are confessing that we have a great God. You're not just singing for your benefit. You are singing for the encouragement of those who are sitting next to you. And you may say, well, pastor, I sing all the time and there is no encouragement, I promise. But we also have to understand that when you lift up your song, even if you don't have a professional voice, you are still lifting up your voice in praise to the one who deserves it. And it encourages other people. You ever been in a room and and thought, man, I'm I'm not going to get involved. Nobody else is. Imagine the same thing with our singing. If you came in and you were the only one singing, would you be motivated to continue singing? Or would you feel like you're the odd man out and maybe you missed the memo or maybe today's Silent Sunday or something and you just missed out? And we're not going to have one of those anyway. But how will others know what the Lord has done in your heart unless it comes out of your mouth? How will others know? That is an opportunity that God has given to us to lift up our voice in song, to praise Him together with other believers, with other people. You don't get that opportunity in the car on the way to work tomorrow. You don't get that opportunity in the shower You get that opportunity when you're here. When we're all gathered together, we all get to lift up our voice and song to Him. We are challenged and commanded to make some noise. But then number two, we're commanded to take notice. We're encouraged. Make some noise. Let us lift up our voice. Let us sing. Let us make a joyful noise. And then number two, we see in verse two, let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. And make a, here it is again, joyful noise unto him with psalms. We're not just singing for nothing. There is a purpose. See, it's one thing to sing for your personal enjoyment. It's a whole nother thing to sing with a purpose. And we have a purpose for our song. Our singing should be an act of remembrance, reminding us of why we sing and what we're singing about. It should be pointing upward. It says in verse number 2, before his presence with thanksgiving. Let me ask you, what do you have to be thankful for this morning? Man, I rolled out of bed today. I I got to come to church today. I got to drive in an air conditioning vehicle today. Uh, See, you have air conditioning whether or not uh, that little button on the console works. Because you might have free air conditioning where you have to roll down the window. Uh, but you got air conditioning. And some of you remember when that's all that there was, all right? Uh, but think about the fact that we get to come before Him. See, we're supposed to come into His presence with gratitude, not with greed. Thanking Him for who He is and what He's done. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. 
Philippians 4 verse 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Colossians 2.7, our theme verse from several years ago, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Psalm 26 verse 7, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell all thy wondrous works. You know, are you thankful? Most of us would say, oh, pastor, absolutely. I am a thankful person. But are you telling him that you're thankful? How many of you have prayed like I have? And we start our prayer request like this. Lord, thank you for all your blessings. Now on to what I need. Now we are so quick to get to what we feel like we need that we overlook all of the thanksgiving. I heard a preacher say years ago, do we thank him as much as we asked him? When God answers a prayer, are you thanking him just as much for answering the prayer? as you did in asking him to answer the prayer. And that's a tall order. You know, a prayer request that you prayed for for years and God answers and we say thank you twice. I got to wonder if that's good enough. Does God look at that and say, why did I even bother? See, Scripture would suggest that you should not even ask until you've spent a considerable amount of time praising him. C.H. Spurgeon said, there should be a parallel between our supplication and our thanksgiving. We ought not to leap in prayer and limp in praise. Are we praising him? What do your prayers look like? Are they songs of praise for what he's done and then a few requests added on? Are they thanking him? And maybe it's thanking him for what he's going to do. Um, you know, Pastor, I, I'm praying some pretty heavy prayer requests. Are you thanking him for answering the prayers that haven't happened yet? Lord, I, this hasn't happened yet, but I'm going to go ahead and thank you in advance for how you're going to answer this prayer. I'm going to praise you now for what you're going to do then. I'm going to praise you in advance, trusting you that you know best. Are you entering into his presence with praise? Spurgeon again said, no chorus is too loud. No orchestra too large, no psalm too lofty for the lauding of the Lord of hosts. We're encouraged, the encouragement that we're commanded we're to make some noise, to take notice of this thing called thanksgiving. But then number two, we see the excitement. The excitement in verse 3 through 7. And you may be here this morning or watching online and you say, Well, Pastor, my life is not full of a lot of goodness. I've got some bad things in my life. I've got some hardships that I've dealt with. Not my, my story hasn't been great. Why do I have to thank the Lord? Write down number one. We thank him for his greatness. His greatness. Verse number three. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. See, we're not supposed to praise him for our goodness, for our greatness, we're supposed to praise him for his greatness, for his goodness. And see, no matter what you've faced up in your life up to this point, he is still a great God. Uh, the word used here in verse number 3 is the Hebrew word gadol, which means magnitude and importance. Now see, the psalmist contrasts that to the gods of this world. If he, Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 3 
Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You think about the greatness of our God versus the contrast of an idol. Well, what does it say about the God of this world in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4? In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan's goal is deception, to deceive us, to draw away our focus and make us believe and think that God is not a great God. Because God hasn't given us everything we want that God must not somehow be good. That's not God, by the way. If you're getting everything you want, you don't have a God, you have a genie. Because our God knows best and sometimes His best means no. See, God says yes, no, and wait. And sometimes the greatest things that we could hear is no from God. Knowing that he answered our prayer, absolutely. But knowing, secondly, that he knows what's best and it requires my trust. That he knows what I don't. See, we have a God, not a genie. You don't have that, uh, you know, sometimes we might need to pull out that old country song from years ago. I thank God for unanswered prayers. When he said no, things in my life that I prayed, God, I know this is what I want. And I know maybe even, God, this looks so much like it would be your will for my life. You know, God, that, that brand new car would be your will. You want me to be pleased and you want me to have what's best. So I know you want me to have this brand new Maserati. I know you want me to have this brand new $3 million mansion, God, because we could have so many activities for the Lord in that house. You know? And we justify it however we want to. But God says no. And then expects us to trust him. See, Satan wants to draw our attention away from the good things that we say are good. And draw our focus away from what God's already provided us. See, Satan's objective is to give us a counterfeit. And there is a belief that even the demons themselves in James chapter number 2 verse 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The devils believe in him. They've not placed their trust in him. They've not submitted to him. But they believe. They know who he is. But do we know who he is? See, think of who he is. Are we living out of who he is? We see his greatness. But then number two, we see his glory in verse 4 and 5. His glory. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. The devil wants the glory that, but has nothing to show for it. It's the Lord's handiwork. That verse from a few years ago, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the handiwork of God. He's the one who made it all. And as creator, he is also the one who's over it all. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. 1 Corinthians 10, 26. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
That's God's hope. That's God expectancy that we would see that he is overall. But what does Satan want us to look at? He wants us to lift up ourselves. He wants us to think that what we have is because of us. You know, you do, your, you, you do your best you, and you live for you, and uh, you did that on your own, and you didn't need help, and uh, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and you do all this stuff for you. But remember, there's a God behind us who gives us the ability to do the things that we're doing. It's not us. Everything goes back to pride. With Satan, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16 and 17. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Think about the Garden of Eden. Go back to that time period. Think about when Satan spoke to Eve. How did he get her off track? He caused her to focus on the one thing. That God had withheld. That one thing. Satan didn't go up to Eve and say, look, Eve, look at all this that God's given to you. He said, hey, did God say that you could have every tree? And he drew her attention to that one thing that was forbidden. The one thing. And she overlooked everything that God had already provided by making her focus on the one thing that she didn't have. You know that he uses those exact same tactics today? You know, if I had their spouse, I'd have a happy marriage. If I had their kids, my home life would be peaceful. If I had their job, you know, my life would be so much better. If I had that house, if I had their retirement package, if I had their vacation structure, if I had their whatever, I would be happy. But the problem is, He's trying to draw our attention away from what we already have. Maybe it's time for us to thank the Lord for what we already have instead of looking over the fence at what someone else has. Maybe it's time for us to focus and say, Lord, my car is old, but thank you that I have a vehicle. You know, my roof leaks, but Lord, thank you that I got a roof over my head. Lord, I might not be having filet mignon, but Lord, thank you for Chef Boyardee over here. You know, I might not get spaghetti and homemade meatballs, but I got some ramen. You know, Lord, I might not get everything that I feel like I want, but I've got what I need. Maybe it's time for us to be thankful for what we have. Instead of looking at somebody else and saying, man, I wish I had that. You know, I think about a brand new car, just practically speaking. Hey, have y'all seen the interest rates recently? Some of you are saying, Pastor, don't remind me. Uh, You know, hey, be thankful for what we have. Uh, Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. He said, I've learned how to suffer loss and I've learned how to abound. When he says I've learned, that means that he literally has been through both seasons of life. And then he said... I have learned that it's better to be content. I have learned that I just need to focus on what I have. Not what I don't have. Not what I don't need. Because remember, God promised to meet our needs. So if I don't have it, then he must believe that I really don't need it. We see his glory, his greatness, or his goodness, his glory. And then thirdly, we see his group. 
Look at his people in verse number 6. This group that he's talking to, the psalm is directed at, Oh, come, here it is again, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. And let me just sidebar right here and say, Hey, don't worry about bending your knee if you're not going to bend your heart. Don't worry about bending your knee if you're already bent. Don't be a hypocrite. Bend your heart. God is far more concerned about the posture of your heart than he is about the posture of your body. Don't, don't put on a show for other people just say, oh man, I got, I got to look the part. Hey, God would prefer you didn't. We look at this in verse 7, it says, for he is our God. Think about the, the significance of that statement. The God of the universe, the one who created all things, he is our God. That just might drop. Boom, right there. He is our God. And it gets even better. And we are the people of his pasture. His pasture looks pretty good, by the way. I'm thankful that we get to be in his pasture. The fact that we're in his pasture means that we're under his watch care. The fact that we're in his pasture means that we're a part of what he's providing. We get to reap the benefits of all of the things that he's offering because we're in his pasture. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not in his pasture. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not in his family. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never been formally introduced into that great God, the keeper of the pasture, the sheep of his hand. See, in just two verses, he mentions four times that we belong to him. We belong to him over and over. And that matters because it shows me that the decisions I make each day should not be for my benefit. They should be for his glory. Shouldn't be what's best for me. Should be what's best for him. The decisions I make should all filter through him. Lord, is this what's best for you? Because if it's what's best for him, it'll be what's best for me. If it's something that would honor him. And see, as the creator, he should have ultimate control and say so over my life. John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But how often do we make decisions based on what's best for us rather than what's best for him? Or maybe we make decisions based on what's best for us without even consulting him. Oh man, more money? Absolutely. Oh man, greater benefits? Yes. But have we even prayed about it? Have we even asked him? about it. You know, we think about our life and our culture, doing things in our own way hasn't really worked out well for humanity. Think about Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but, the, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Proverbs 26 verse 12, seest thou a man wise in his own conceit, there is more hope of a fool than of him. I know what's best, Pastor. I know what to do. I don't need to pray about that. You know, the only things in life that you don't have to pray about are the things that he's specifically written in his word. Everything else we should talk to our father about. Everything else. Because when I make decisions based on what's messed for me, I mess it up. Tim Keller said, the ego is incredibly busy. In other words, it is always drawing attention to itself. 
It's incredibly busy trying to fill the emptiness. And it's incredibly busy doing two things in particular. Comparing and boasting. Comparing and boasting. And that's exactly what Satan did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Comparison. Look at what you don't have compared to what you do have. And boasting. Hey, if you'll eat that fruit, God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because you could be like God. And wouldn't that look good on a resume? That you can say that you're like God. Comparing and boasting. What are we supposed to boast in? Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. The only boasting we should make is our boasting in Christ. The fact that everything I have is a direct result of His grace and goodness in my life. The fact that all of the blessings that we get to hold on to, and we get to steward for His namesake, are because of Him, not because of us. Every good and perfect gift is from above, James chapter 1 says. We are His people, and we should boast in Him instead of ourselves. So we've seen the excitement. Man, we need to make some noise. We need to take notice. The encouragement. Hey, you're encouraged to sing, to lift up our voice in song, and to praise Him. The fact that we're excited about His greatness, His goodness, His glory, and who He is. And then lastly this morning, we see the example. In verse 7 through 11, He ends the psalm with a moment of reflection. And can I just say, God's Word always requires a response. God's Word always requires a response. When I read in the morning, and I do my devotions... And I spend time with him each day. It's not just so that I check a box and say, yep, done for the day. Slide it over and I'm going to work. How does it apply to me? What does God want me to do with what I've read? And it's the same thing when we come to church. We hear the word of God shared. What does God want me to do? And we see in verse 7 and 8, we see the past that is mentioned. The whole psalm leads to a history lesson. And here it is. End of verse 7. Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Remember that day when they provoked the Lord to wrath? When they were constantly complaining and whining and bellyaching and grumbling and coming to Moses. You brought us out here to die. Over and over and over. They were not complaining against Moses. They were ultimately complaining against God. God is the one behind the scenes. See, we've been told to act. We've been told to sing unto the Lord and give a joyful noise and come into His presence with thanksgiving and recognize His authority. And in doing so, it reminds us who He is compared to who we are. And there's a temptation to sit back and this morning and say, Man, Pastor, good message. I sure hope that so-and-so heard that. Uh, Pastor, that's a good message, man. I hope my husband is listening, or I'm, I hope, uh, wake up, honey, so you can hear. Uh, you know, I, I hope that they're paying attention. When in reality, this is for his people. Remember, just a few verses before, it says, He is our God. We are the people of his pasture. It's easy to say that that's for somebody else when in Reality, God expects a response from me. How will I respond to this? 
Uh, my problem is the exact same problem that they had. Unbelief. Unbelief. Matthew 13, verse 58. One of the saddest verses in Scripture. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Man, I don't want that said about Crossroads. I don't want that said about my life. The fact that he could not work in our heart and our life and in our church community that because of our unbelief, because we weren't willing to take steps of faith along the way. You know, we saw a great step of faith this past Friday at Augusta Christian Academy and how God is continually adding to, adding to blessing. And that requires steps of faith all along the way. And this past Friday, cut the ribbon for the very first time. It was awesome. Giant pair of scissors. You know, it's it pretty cool. But you know what? That is only one step. There are other steps in the future. We can't just say, well, we done good, church. Moving on. Moving on up. You know, you can't, you can't do that. There are going to be other steps along the way. And God is going to expect us to continue taking steps of faith. Because we are his people. And walking with him requires faith. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Hebrews 4.11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. You know, God wants to allow the past to show us a pattern of his faithfulness. And in our life, has he ever failed to give you what he promised to give you? When you take inventory this morning, God has always been good and he's always been faithful. Hey, church, in spite of us not always being good and faithful, he has always been good and faithful. Your life might not be what you want it to be, but he has always been present. He has always been with you. Someone said, when we face difficulties, we sometimes forget God's past faithfulness. We see only the detours and the dangerous path, but look back and you will also see the joy of victory, the challenge of the climb, and the presence of your traveling companion who has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. The past. Then we see the proving in verse number 9 and 10. The psalmist reminds them that the children of Israel in the wilderness wandered for 40 years, heading all the way on that little trip that was supposed to take two weeks. Lasted 40 years. They went around in circles. Why? Because of their unbelief. The fact that they could not trust the Lord. Verse 9 says, When your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my work, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation. Grieved. 40 years that God said, why in the world? What is wrong with this group of people? You know, it's a good reminder that God sometimes will let us walk in circles and get nowhere. Or we can trust him to take us everywhere. He'll let us walk in circles. All right, I'm take another lap, you know, take another lap. All right, God, I'm here. Did you learn a lesson? Nope. All right, I'll take another lap. Forty years, circle after circle after circle, because they would not submit. They would not believe. The Bible word says they proved. It means they tested. They examined him. It's the same word that David used in Psalm 139, verse 23, when he said, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Try me. Lord, examine me. Examine me. Search me. 
David was talked about examining the Lord, examining him. But when's the last time that we examine God? When's the last time that you sat down and tracked his goodness in your life? When's the last time that you sat down and said, he was here, he was with me here, and he was with me there, and he was with me when we started dating, and he was with me when we had our first child, and he was with me when we went to the doctor and heard that diagnosis, and he was there when I didn't know what I was going to do. When's the last time that you examined him? When's the last time that you sat back and said, you know, God has been faithful to me? When's the last time Henry Blackaby said, when's the last time you looked back and saw all the spiritual markers guiding your life? All of those times that God intervened in your life. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 7. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Think about all that the Lord had done for them and how every turn they were questioning God. How foolish But how foolish of us when God has guided us all along the way and we can't even trust him. Oh, pastor, man, how's God going to pay my bills? I don't know. How's he paid them in the past? God, how's, uh, pastor, how is God going to lead me through this difficulty? I don't know. How has God led you through difficulties in the past? Because he's the Lord. He doesn't change. He's still good and faithful. And we see lastly this morning, the promise. The promise. Verse 10 and 11. They said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that I should not enter into, they should not enter into my rest. Why is the psalmist telling us to sing in verse 1? Let us sing. Let us praise. Let us make a joyful noise. Because of the final verses. The Lord told Moses that he would lead them out. And the people were the problem, not the Lord. And remember, the people doubted his provision. He wasn't unfaithful in providing. Remember, he gave them manna. And they ate the manna and said, Man, we wish we would have had some meat along the way, Moses. And what did God do? He gave them meat and manna for 40 years. 40 years. And they complained even still. And how tragic is it that God's people, He provides for again and again and again and again. And yet we still want more. And God gives and gives and gives. And we take and take and take. But what are we doing with what we're taking? Are we hoarding it up for us? Building our kingdom? Or are we trying to do anything to build His kingdom. Joshua chapter 5 verse 6, for the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. What could we miss out on because of unbelief in his promises? What could we miss out on? See, they could have walked right into Canaan land. They could have gone straight from Egypt to Canaan Straight shot, super easy trip, just a couple weeks' time. But because of their unbelief, it took them so long to get there. And a generation, an entire generation missed out because of unbelief. Hey, I hope that in the course of the life of Crossroads Baptist Church, that we can say we got to see it. 
not that we had to miss out because we wouldn't believe it. Hey, you remember that church over there? Man, I, I didn't see it. I, that's not going to happen. You know, that, I don't know what's going on over there, but I, yeah, I, God's not going to work over there. Hey, don't miss out on what God's trying to do because of unbelief. And in your own life, hey, don't miss out on an opportunity to praise the Lord for who He is and what He's done because you don't feel like He's been good enough for you. Because remember, we're not here for us. We're here for Him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, please speak to hearts this morning. Help us to realize that singing a song may seem like such a small thing, but in reality is a great thing. Maybe you're here this morning and you have questions about where you're going to spend eternity one day. Maybe you don't fully comprehend the greatness of our God. Maybe you don't fully understand who He is and what He does. Maybe you're here this morning and you have no idea what a relationship with Jesus looks like because you don't have one. Could I challenge you this morning to talk to someone? God has made salvation so simple to where all you have to do is literally reach out and receive the gift that he's offered. Jesus came 2,000 years ago and died a horrific death that he did not deserve to pay for one that you and I deserved. And by doing so has offered salvation to every person who will acknowledge that they are a sinner in the sight of a holy God and that they need what Jesus did on the cross to be applied to their life and simply trust Him and ask Him to save them. That's what salvation is. Plain and simple. It doesn't cost you anything. It just simply requires your faith. Are you trusting in Him? Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't done that. And I challenge you to speak to the Lord and talk this morning to the Lord about what He's talking to your heart specifically. Maybe you're here this morning and your praise is pitiful. Just truthfully honest, your praise is pitiful. And in your heart, you know that you're not lifting your voice, you're not singing, you're not exalting Him like you should. And that's not for me to point out, that's for the Holy Spirit to do His work in your heart. And if that's your testimony, you already know because he's revealed it. And maybe that's what you need today is to simply talk to him and admit it, turn from it, and correct it. Would you simply do this morning what he is leading you to do? We're going to be, our personal workers are already in place all around the room. We'll have somebody down front. I'll be standing down here. If you need to take a step, if you need to speak to someone, you need someone to pray with you, we are here to help you, whatever you may need this morning. Father, please bless our time of reflection and invitation will help us, Lord, to simply acknowledge who you are. And Lord, help that to come out of our mouth and the way that we live. Lord, I ask that you please help us to lift up our praise to you, for you alone are worthy. We love you, and thank you so much for loving us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, please. The team's going to sing What a Beautiful Name It Is. We're going to lift up our voice in song and sing together about our Savior. And I hope that you'll sing with us. If you need to speak to someone, our personal workers are all around the room. would love to talk to you. I'll be right down front if you need somebody to pray with you.